This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Seasonal and calendar thresholds are frequently accompanied by a desire to start fresh, to take this next day, week, season as the first one in the rest of our lives, and to strive to live up to that. This is perhaps never more true than at the turning of the calendar year. Resolutions both well-made and well-intended come to mind. This week, we're joined by British floral designer, flower farmer, forager, educator, and encourager, Sarah Statham of Simply Buy Arrangement, based out of Yorkshire and Lancashire in the north of England. Sarah shares with us her own garden journey, her gardening and life practices with her husband James, and her New Year's thoughts and resolutions as we've just walked across this threshold into 2018 and are looking forward. Sarah joins us today via Skype from her home and garden in the north of England. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Jennifer. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. As we're looking into this whole new year, Sarah, describe for us your current garden and your current gardening practices. Okay, well, my garden is a little wild. It's set up on a hillside in Yorkshire, uh, where I live. Uh, There's a huge field at the back with quite often sheep in the field. Uh, We're well protected from the sheep there. Um, And then we have a a garden that comes around both sides of the house. It's quite small relative to, to most gardens. It's about a third of an acre. The front of the garden is my cutting garden, so that's the the bit that I'm allowed to use. And the side of the garden is my husband James's garden, which is his, well, it's his pride and joy, to be quite honest. Mm. And um, although I do take things from it, I'm not meant to. And that's a more (laughs) kind of uh, naturalistic side of the garden. It's his, uh, well, it's his attempt to um, have a prairie-style garden. Um, and most of the year it looks very, very good. So as we, we wake up into the new year, his side of the garden looks far better than mine because his has still got the grasses in, everything's covered in frost, and my flower beds are quite empty. What is your kind of daily, yours and James's perhaps, your daily or weekly garden practice? How, how, how often are you out there? What are you doing? What are the kinds of things that kind of ground you as a gardener, both a, a floral designing gardener, but as also a home gardener? This time of year for me is a relatively quiet time in the garden. I'm just doing the planning. I've already ordered all the dahlias first thing on New Year's Day and got my new varieties, um, hopefully uh, in the bag. And I'm just planning what seeds I want and whether there's any kind of formula to what I'm planting in the cutting garden, whether there are any colour schemes that I want to particularly use this year. Um, Gems' garden is more, it's a side of the garden that looks after itself quite a lot, although he is out there whatever spare time he gets, which tends to be just a weekend thing for him. Mm-hmm. But he's he's out there first thing every morning, last <laughs> thing at night. So he he is a real garden lover. 
Um, and I love the garden as much as I can, but obviously I'm also quite busy with doing the flowers as well as growing them. So that takes up quite a lot of time for me. And you are doing seasonal floral design uh, for events year round. Describe your journey through life, Sarah, into doing the work you currently do. Uh, Well, it's not the conventional journey to flowers. I actually started my career as a criminal lawyer and did that for 20 years. Um, But flowers were always my hobby and actually kind of a a stress relief really from from all of what I was dealing with at work, sometimes very, very serious cases. So I would come home, deadhead some roses, get rid of a headache, um, Mm -hmm. come home at weekends, um, get lots of flowers from the local flower shop on the way back and, and just spend a few hours doing something with creative with flowers and so I always said I would retire from that job early and be a florist I wanted a florist shop Uh, and then things took a little turn the government closed down my office the job wasn't what it was and actually I decided to to leave it early and do what I do now which is to run floral workshops grow my own flowers and do um, a a number of events every year as well and it's uh, something I I don't regret. Yeah. What were your earliest influences in life that led you to understanding that that gardens and flowers and nature were were part of your built-in healing and stress relief? Well, as a child, I grew up on a farm. Um, So I would spend a lot of time outdoors, um, walking the fields with the dog, etc., um, and I suppose my early memory was being about five years old and planting carrots and potatoes with, with my grandfather. Mm. Um, they, we didn't really grow many flowers, I have to say. Everything was kind of turned over to, to more productive things than flowers uh, back in those days. But that's probably the, the earliest memory I have of, of growing things. And was that in the north of England? It was, yes. Yeah. Uh, probably some 20 minutes away from where I live now, again, on a, another hillside. So, yeah, a short distance away. So you were a criminal lawyer for 20 years, and then you you, you made the change, and you decided to be a, a, a farmer, a flower farmer. And discuss sort of how this has progressed from where and when it started in your life and what it's looking like now like what what did your your work and creative life look like that those first couple of years you got started versus what they look like this last year Sarah Uh, well when I first started my only real plan was to to be a florist and I went very early on, at one, one winter when no one was doing a great deal, to um, a, a conference held by a group called Flowers from the Farm, who I'm sure you've heard of, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And they're a kind of nationwide group in this country. Started off with about four members, and gradually over the time I've been involved, it, it's now up to about, I think, nearly 500 members now. So that, that's the pace of, of change within the flower-growing community in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to, the, to that meeting, that conference for two days, and I was persuaded by a lady called Jill Hodgson, who, who started off Flowers from the Farm, that really flower growing was the way forward. And I came back and dug up the front lawn and, and started <laughs> to grow my own flowers and never really looked back. And what year uh, was that, Sarah? 
That would have been 2013, okay. so not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things are a little different now. Obviously, the, the front cutting garden is very well established. I'm always looking for a little bit of extra land. And last year, I, a very kind neighbour with a field opposite let me have a small part of his field for, for rose growing. So hopefully that might improve over this next year. And I would actually like to understand more about garden design as well. So I'm, I'm hoping that I might get a little bit of time next year to, to do some kind of a course on that. Mm. Being a flower farming florist and event designer and workshop leader is a little different than just being a standard florist. Talk about, like, walk us through one of your maybe weddings or, you know, party events that you would have had last year from how you work with the client and what you are finding in your garden and um, and then walk us through or, or then we'll, t- we'll try and talk about the workshops. But what I'm trying to kind of get at is how complex this formula is and how it starts right now in this wintertime when you're planning um, and planting and developing those seeds and then you have this you know, this material and resource out in the back? Most of our brides, we, we only have 10 brides a year. We, we really do limit it down to that just because we run so many workshops. So we, we can't take on uh, as many weddings as perhaps some, some flower growers or, or florists would do. But most of our brides come at least a year in advance, if not two years. And I would say that all of them come because they like the idea that we do either use locally grown flowers or more importantly grow some that are going to be included in their weddings Mm -hmm. and so that's good for us because it means that a year in advance we know what color schemes are going to be the most prevalent that year and we can plan our our growing strategy uh, in accordance with, with that so you know whatever most of the weddings are in summer and a lot will involve dahlias or garden roses. So we, we can we can buy in in advance and we can maybe change our colour palette slightly. Um, and so that, that's quite exciting for us. But I think it's also quite exciting for the, the brides and, and, well, the couples, the brides and grooms that we have. And actually last year was quite interesting because it, it was the, the grooms who were more interested in the growing aspect. Yeah. And they would contact us and say, well, we'd, we'd love to see this in there. And they would get really interested in, in all the planting. So it, it's great to think that you're growing something that's then going to end up as a very special part of someone else's day. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to think, um, you know, as two people getting married, that, you know, while you're working and planning over the period of time prior to your wedding, you're also thinking of the specific plants and flowers out there being grown for your day. Uh, There's something really beautiful about that as opposed to, you know, I would say 20 years ago, you went to a florist and the florist ordered your flowers from somewhere far, far away. And um, there wasn't that same connection and that cycle seems really beautiful. Mm, And I do like to think as well that some of these couples who've got their own gardens will actually then be growing some of those flowers in their gardens and 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 using them themselves as well in years to come yeah you also do workshops talk a little bit about what what are what are these oh well they started off in a very different way we we started off one christmas time and like many people it was wreath making season and and that's what we started with and 
and our customer base was very much local people, people from people like neighbours, friends, friends of friends. So that was five years ago. And in that five-year period, probably down to the use of social media, our customer base has changed. We still have those lovely local customers who come every single year, but we now have customers from all around the world and people come to our workshops for lots of different reasons. Um, but I do like the fact that we now get people who are traveling to Yorkshire to see us yeah. and who are putting Yorkshire as part of their travel plans when they come to England. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, British floral designer, flower farmer, and educator Sarah Statham of Simply By Arrangement, based in the north of England, shares with us her own history of moving from a 20-year career in criminal law to being a cutting-edge floral designer, influencer, and workshop leader, in which she encourages all of us to get outside, look carefully in our own gardens and landscapes year-round for what moves us, what pulls us, and to bring some of that life and inspiration back inside, into our heads and into our homes. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. I don't know about you, but I love the new year. There is something fabulously freeing about that reset button in the schedule, at my desk and in my garden. All of the lovely, lush clutter and noise of the holiday are taken down and cleared away, and January for me is a deep breath of fresh air. I'm one of those people who love ritual and tradition. I like good luck charms and symbolic gestures. At some point in my life, I embraced an old tradition of opening the front and back doors of my house at the moment of the new year and sweeping the old year out. I say, and now my girls say, rabbit, rabbit, first thing on the first day of a new month. This is especially important on the first day of a new month in a new year. I always turn my compost on New Year's Day. These are funny things, but somehow they're important connective tissue in a life. And they are good signs of starting fresh from exactly where we are and moving forward from here. What are your New Year's or January traditions? I'd love to hear or see. Follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook to stay in touch and let me hear from you. After all, the whole point of Cultivating Place is to have conversations about these things we love and that connect us all. Together, we gardeners make a difference for the better in this world. Now back to our conversation with Sarah Statham of Simply By Arrangement. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to hear more from British floral designer, flower farmer, and educator, Sarah Statham of Simply By Arrangement. Sarah grows flowers for events like weddings and funerals and others of life's thresholds to be marked. I so enjoyed the idea she mentioned of working with clients well enough in advance that she could grow the flowers they wanted for their event. Imagine planning your summer wedding and knowing that the flowers and foliage for that big day were emerging from seed dormancy, germinating, and growing specifically for you out there in a well-loved garden. 
We're back to hear more from Sarah. Welcome back. In 2017, I was very aware of a couple of different workshops that you were involved in, Sarah. One of them was a weekend, no, I think it was longer than a weekend, was a workshop retreat event in Scotland. Describe how you came up with this concept and then walk us through what that workshop retreat was like. Okay. Uh, Well, I met with um, a lady who I know you've interviewed in the past, Jennifer, Christine Gill from um, Canada, Mm -hmm. who's also a flower farmer and a very talented floral designer. Uh, And again, via social media, we we connected up. We met a couple of times. She was over in England and we met up. And um, another friend who I work with quite a lot on on workshops, um, Rachel Scott of Hedgerow in Edinburgh, suggested to Kristen that she should visit Camber because she was up in St Andrews Um, and both of them in turn told me what an amazing garden this place had. Other flower growers told me that I had to visit it um, and I'd heard so much about it and always wanted to go but it was quite a distance away. Kristen um, actually spent uh, I think at least a week if not more working at Cambo uh, in the summer of 2016. So she got to know the the gardeners there and the team. And she managed to persuade them that a floral workshop would be a good idea. And of course, then the three of us teamed up, decided to try and run one for uh, three days, advertised it and um, got several people to come along who were interested. We weren't sure how it would go, but it was it was a a really great experience, I think, for us and for, for all the guests as well. And so just, okay, so it's the Cambo Estate in Scotland. Describe the actual location and then what happens in a workshop retreat like this? How, how many students were there and what did you do each day? Well, the Cambo Estate itself is in the East Nuke of Fife. So it's in Fife, which is on the... Um, the east coast of Scotland. Um, quite a, a temperate climate, actually, for, for Scotland. Um, and there's a, a, a huge house, still family-owned. The whole estate is, is still a family-owned um, business. Uh, weddings and events are held there. But more importantly than that, it has a garden, which is a very well-known garden, both within the the British Isles and I would I would hope for further afield um, and the gardening team is headed up by a man called Elliot Forsyth who is a very talented gardener who's planted up uh, a walled garden with prairie style planting lots of perennials lots of grasses um, uh, and it is just a magical magical place um, and so that was the background for our our retreat um, we advertised the whole retreat for people to come and stay, people to have a garden tour of, of the Cambo Estate and Gardens and a, another nearby garden garden at Wormistoon. So it was, it was aimed really at flower lovers, but also garden lovers. Mm-hmm. And one of the days during the course of the retreat was also for people to indulge their passion for floral design. And Kristen, Rachel and I, headed up some workshops where all the guests could design bouquets, table centres, 
have their work photographed within the garden, use things from the garden and just generally take their inspiration from, from what was growing outside. And how many students were there? Uh, there were 12 students um, from all around the world. And we also opened it up to, to their partners so that if people were traveling from abroad, they didn't feel that they needed to to come all that way just for a few days. They could make a, a holiday out of it. So people were kind of on the journey up to the top of Scotland and back down uh, and they could bring their partners with them as well. So it was very much, um, we, we opened up a, a small country house to, to let people in for a few days and also ran a workshop whilst we were there. Yeah. And it seems to me this is a very sought after kind of event and destination and experience that garden and floral lovers are really hungry for. When when you're leading these and, and when you are attracting visitors from around the world to come to Yorkshire and do, a, you know, even smaller day-long workshops with you, what do you think is, what do you think is being fed in these, in these travelers that are, that are so enjoying this or, or what are you, I, I'm not sure if I'm asking the correct the, I, the question. I, yeah, right. I think I understand what you mean. And yeah. I, the feedback I get from people from around the world is that they love the English garden. And I, I don't think it's, obviously we're in a Scottish garden, but it's the same concept. It, it's not something that you have everywhere. You don't necessarily have the have the historic house that goes with it don't necessarily have the same kind of planting schemes or the old old walled garden. I mean, the amount of people who go gaga over the thought of a walled garden. I know. I, <laughs> I would count myself that. among them, by the way. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it, it's the cultural heritage that we have. It's the history. And it, it well, for us on that particular course, it was the place, I think. that There were people, especially people who travel from the States, who had said, we always wanted to go to Scotland, but we love flowers as well. And, and this was the the retreat that we knew would get us to Scotland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think there's something that comes back to your kind of mission statement or your motto statement of a feast for the senses. And I have been indulging myself in your website and some of your videos and um, of course, I am a huge follower of your Instagram feed, and the photos make me so happy. But I think it's not just that they're pretty pictures, Sarah. I think that for me, when I am watching the information coming out about these workshops, or I am reading um, some of your content that goes with the design or meals that you are including in these experiences, I keep coming back to this idea of kind of adult learning, you know, sort of lifelong learning and cultural literacy, that this is, should be part of our education as people in this world, that gardens and flowers and the good food that comes with them and the atmosphere that comes with a well-tended environment should be part of everybody's education. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. And yes, it, it, it isn't just about things that look pretty. It, it's more about 
it's everything isn't it it was the food it was the warm atmosphere it was the fact that people from different places were all getting together and discussing their passion but the one common element that joined everyone up was this garden Mm -hmm. and you could just see everyone's face as they stepped through the 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 gate into the walled garden we were just all you know most of us we'd met 10 minutes before and we were all completely transfixed by (laughs) by what was in there but yes it does come back to you know if if you're on your travels and I know that myself and my husband like this because you know we love gardens but if we're going somewhere we're going abroad or going somewhere in this country it tends to be somewhere that we know is going to have a good garden that we can look at Mm -hmm. and so I think I think that does help if you if you're traveling for some distance if if there's a great garden at the end of it then you know that's yeah. A complete a complete holiday for me. Exactly. Me too. Me too. As you prepare for the new year and the new garden cycle there, you sort of painted a picture earlier, you know, that it's been very gray and it's 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 dark and, and there's very little happening in your cutting garden, even though James's garden still has its beautiful frost covered structure. What are your rituals and traditions for marking the turn in the year in, in your own house, in your own sort of personal use of your garden and then in your work going forward well I I suppose after Christmas where we've we have literally packed the house with every kind of foliage going for all of our events and all of our workshops um, everything is paired back a lot the garden's paired back the house is paired back everything sort of starts afresh and, you know, you only get to February and you, you start to look, well, not even February, January, you can always go around the garden and you start to look at the, the new growth out there. And it will always mm. start for me with there's a witch hazel tree outside and that will be the first thing that I cut a tiny branch off and I'll bring it in. So everything starts coming inside slowly, but very, very pared down. So things will be just one tiny branch and then things will just gradually get more and more abundant as, as the year goes on. There is something about the, the January garden and especially when you take, I mean, I love the holidays. I love all of that sort of lushness inside and all the things and the, you know, flowers and the foliage and the wreaths and the garlands. But when you take it down at the end, there is such a like deep breath of relief that you can sort of breathe again. There's this expanse and freshness too. Mm, yeah, and just you, you then just begin to prepare for everything, don't you? Then you start to get all the courses out there and you start to do all the writing to people and advertising everything that's that's coming up. But also actually for us in the garden this year that there's structurally some things that I would like to do to get it looking a lot better. So actually in January this year for us, we will, well, we are going to pull down some trees, open things up a little bit, give me a little bit more space for for growing, um, build a new wall as well. So yeah, Ooh. lots of things, lots of things on the agenda. Yeah. And uh, are you the kind of person that makes New Year's resolutions, Sarah? I'm not really because I tend to break them within about a week. So I, I try not to. Um, so the only thing I ever say is we'll just carry on doing what we're doing and whatever comes up, comes up. And if we if we like the sound of it, then we, we do it. Right. And you, you know what feels right. So no, I, I try not to. I definitely don't go on diets in winter. I think that's probably the worst thing you can do. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and 
in the garden, are there are there traditional tasks that you take on in January and February? Everything's kind of mulched and, and keeping warm out there. There will be new roses. Um, that's the one thing that I, I can say will definitely be done uh, within the next few few months. New roses will go in and hopefully a new beach hedge as well Mm. so um yeah exciting times some big trees are are coming down to open things up a little bit and when you are planting your roses this time of year are you planting them bare root sarah yes yes yeah and what kinds of uh varieties are you planting this year oh possibly a little bit more of of what we had last year that i i really loved which was a variety called honey dijon Oh, yeah. Um, if you come across it, it's I've a beautiful rose. Your pictures of it I've seen, yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't have enough of those last year. Um, and just just others that I found were, I know we, we use this phrase, really good doers last year. So um, can, it, it's like a cafe latte. Oh, what's the name of it? It's not Distant Drums because I can't get Distant Drums here. Uh, Coco Loco, that's the one. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so maybe a few more of those just because everyone goes gaga over it. And it definitely, I don't know, I had about four flushes in my garden last year. So mm. that's another good one here. But it's hard because we don't have our roses undercover. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you are at the mercy of the Yorkshire weather, whatever you plant, really. And are, are, do you freeze hard there? Do you get snow? Yes, we do. Um, not, We don't have a harsh winters like we used to a few years ago. Things are definitely getting warmer. Mm. Uh, but yes, we, we so dahlias have all had to be lifted. Mm-hmm. They're all inside. Um, and so obviously March time, everything starts getting repotted up. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's lots to do. And do you host events or do you do any weddings in the January, February, March mm. period of time? Um, I try not to in January. I do after the Christmas rush. We love to have January off. So now for the next few weeks, we're just indoors planning really um but yeah things start again in february workshops start again we even have a wedding at the end of february so yeah no rest i'm jennifer jewell and this is cultivating place for today's guest sarah statham of simply by arrangement based in the north of england floral workshop and garden-based destination travel workshops offer a sense of community with like-minded people. They also offer purpose to how we spend our time and money. We'll be back after a break to hear more about Sarah's process in the seasonal garden and in her own work and travels. Stay with us. Hey again, it's me, Jennifer. Sarah Statham's practice of learning in and with her garden, reaching out to more male students, taking photographic classes, reading the new Christopher Lloyd book, Note to Self, read that too, and looking into garden design courses for the new year, these parts of her process expanded my own thinking about lifelong learning and following my curiosity, which is such a good reminder about how our gardens grow us and how we support each other out there. We gardeners, we're everywhere, and this human impulse to garden is important. It makes a difference to our mindsets, to our families, to our communities, and to our environments. Like Sarah encouraging James to plant his garden, and James letting Sarah come look at his garden, but she can't cut there. 
I love that. With little Molly in between talking to them, playing with them, make sure to go on the website and look at the photos because there are some cute ones of Molly. Following your journeys or Sarah's journeys, even Molly's journey in the garden is expanding to me. If you'd like to know who's in the queue for upcoming Cultivating Place episodes, or if you'd like to get direct links to recent episodes, make sure to go to cultivatingplace.com and sign up for the monthly newsletter musings, where I share all of that kind of information. Also, if you have ideas for people you'd like to hear me interview, send them along. I love that. Okay, back to Sarah and her process in creating and viewing this gardening life and cultivating her place. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to hear more from British gardener, floral designer, and educator Sarah Statham of Simply By Arrangement, based in Yorkshire and Lancashire in the north of England. For Sarah and her colleague Christy, the work is about creating an entire feast for the senses, for sight, sound, scent, touch, and taste, for the body and soul and mind. Going out into the garden or landscape and seeing what trees, shrubs, and flowers are doing, what they look like, what the weather feels like, and then moving inside to compose a vase or center of table arrangement over which you will then share a good meal with conversation and laughter. That's the full circle of Sarah and Christie's daily, weekly, and annual work. When it comes down to it, it's about paying attention and always learning. It's cultural literacy at its best. We're back to speak more with Sarah about some of the specifics of her work process. Welcome back. As you look at the global world around us, what do you think this kind of gardening and floral life offers to, to the world? Why are these elements, flowers at weddings, at funerals, at celebrations, wandering a hedgerow, which I know you do all the time with your <laughs> little dog, why are these so important to you and what, you know, what do they offer to the big, wide world, Sarah? Ah, well, peace, I suppose, and tranquility, mm. which is, you know, in this day and age, not something we all lead busy lives. We're all being emailed constantly, telephoned constantly. We watch the news. We see the horrific things that are going on in, in the wider world. And so just to be able to be in your own environment, out in the fresh air, wandering the hedgerows or just looking around the garden and, and sniffing a, a rose or, or whatever, it's it, it just brings you maybe a few minutes of peace, but it it just helps to clear your mind, and it, it's just it's therapy, isn't it? And it it's therapy for for the gardener to get out there and and just just be outside and and switch off from everything else, and it's therapy for people who come here on workshops just to to wander around our garden and and snip things to, to go into whatever they're making with us. And would you say that for you personally, it is more, are you more drawn to having all of your sort of palette of cut flowers and foliage and bits around you and working on a floral design? Or if you had your druthers, would you be out grubbing in the garden? <laughs> That's a really hard one because... I currently am drawn to floral design because that's what I do day in, day out. 
but I quite often say I'm going to give it all up and do the garden (laughs) (laughs) and I know where I'm going I think you know in a couple of years time when I've lugged enough buckets around I I would quite like to just be on my own in the garden (laughs) well because it is really hard work I mean it you know when you look at someone's Instagram feed, it is beautiful and the results are gorgeous, but the long hours and the bad weather and the heavy buckets and the, you know, sore shoulders, sore chapped hands, mm. all of these things are right at the back of that. If And, you know, for those people who've done it, you you know, because floral design is your primary mode of expression, I would like to have you describe to us the the whole process as visually as you can. I'm looking at an arrangement of yours. It was posted on Instagram sometime in late November. It has roses and it has leaves and it has seed heads and it's one of the ones on, you photographed it on a table with a kind of um, russet colored linen cloth maybe and it has a kind of cream colored crinkly silk or tulle or something mm-hmm. next to it yeah i yeah. would l- I, I would like another one you mean yeah. okay so what i would like you to do is kind of close your eyes and walk us through what what you do when you create a piece of art like this you know from getting cutting everything or or pulling them from buckets and laying them on your table and how you how you create this and and I want you to describe the exact flowers if you can or the kinds of flowers you would use and and kind of like what it smells like and what it feels like to get into that zone for you okay well this is quite an interesting one because that particular arrangement is actually done from a workshop we held in our Lancashire workshop which is the workshop where we don't have the cutting garden. And so that's the place where I always feel less comfortable because I don't know what's in that garden as opposed to my own garden where I know where every single thing is and where I can spot something one morning and and know what I'm going to do with it that afternoon. And so this particular arrangement was done on a workshop with a man who who came and actually my one new year's resolution last year i know i said i didn't have any but i wanted to get more men into our workshop um to do flowers obviously not not for any other reason but just because i thought that more men uh, should should do flowers Mm. and so this lovely american man as it turned out came for a day and after lunch i walked him around the garden because he buys his flowers from a local um farmer's market every week and i wanted him to be able to see that the bunch of flowers he was getting from that farmer's market could be added to by whatever else he had in his garden at the time. And obviously we were on a a cold November day when most people would think that there was nothing out there at all. Mm. And so we spent half an hour foraging uh, through the borders of of Mrs. B's garden Mm -hmm. uh, and came back with two whole handfuls of dried crocosmia, um, all kinds of different seed heads, uh, some spirea, um, a bit of jasmine, just just anything that, that w- was out there that had dried but was still looking absolutely sculptural and beautiful. And we took it inside and we added to that a few, and I, I mean a few English roses that we, we'd had left over, a couple of ranunculus, 
and we created a you know very small bowl of, of just foraged garden flowers and so at the back of my design process is always what's out there in the garden that day or that week and what can I use that's going to be great in a bride's bouquet and if I know I'm going to do a bride's bouquet by the end of the week then I'm looking around the garden on the Monday or maybe even earlier and I'm spotting all the things that I know are going to be perfect in that bouquet. So then when you bring everything inside and I'm thinking this one is made in a sort of a a low bowl Um, and when I say low so maybe Mm, it looks to me maybe six inches, eight inches yeah. tall, and maybe what ten, maybe eight to ten inches long or round. It's actually Jennifer tiny. It's six inches across and probably no more than three inches tall. A really really small bowl because again, I wanted to show him that actually for the centre of a dining table, you don't need to use a huge mm. um, vessel. It can be something quite small. Right. Um, and then a chicken wire inside and water and all the, you know, kind of natural things that, that we would do to get that, so that you, arrangement that got, that's got movement and life to it, really. So describe the chicken wire um, and, and how you prepare it and then fix it in such a small bowl in order to hold such a – because it's a, it's a very big and dynamic – not big, it, but it is a <sighs> much bigger than the bowl arrangement. It's, it maybe extends – two and a half times the width of the bowl to one side and one and a half times to the other side. Yeah. And it's about two, thir- two times the bowl high. Is that about right? That is. Yes, it's about right. And it is just a small ball of, of chicken wire kind of layered really, almost kind of layered into the bowl so that you get ooh, maybe like three three different layers of chicken wire so that you've got a good structure in which you can insert all your woody branches Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of tape on there just to keep the chicken wire in place and then everything that goes under the chicken wire um it is structural you put the woody stems in first and things kind of mesh together underneath and which comes back to the it's a bit like a planting scheme mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to stake things if you put the right plants in your borders mm-hmm. to start off with so things will hold other some things will hold other things up and i think that's how i work with a, a floral design which is similar to how a gardener might work with a, a planting scheme outside i like that and so when you tape the chicken wire are you taping it from the bottom or are you taping it from the top around the edges of the bowl yeah, just over the, t- the so the chicken wire will kind of come out a little bit over the top of the bowl. It will just mm-hmm. peek out maybe an inch above, and the the tape will go right over the from one side of the bowl over the top of the chicken wire to the other side. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so yeah, it just holds it in place. And then you are fresh cutting each piece, and you're putting your woody stems first, and you're creating your kind of backbone. And then you're you're filling in with your other pieces. Do you do anything to prepare the dried pieces, so the beautiful seed heads or the dried leaves? Do you do anything to prepare them for being in the water? No, other than to make sure that the stems that you're putting into the, the chicken wire are really quite pared down and clean so there are no kind of what I call knobbly bits, which is not a very technical term, but <laughs> they don't want to get yeah, they don't want to go under the chicken wire because then they, you can't get them out again if you need to move them or it mm-hmm. just 
makes things a little bit more messy. But actually, that's that's probably why that e- arrangement extends more because some of those dried pieces are actually really, really light and really thin. And so they perhaps extend out because they don't need to be in water. They can just go in at any angle and it, it doesn't matter. So that gives you a really kind of great shape. Right. And the, the colours of your arrangements are... Um... And this arrangement in particular, it's just such a beautiful winter arrangement. Even though you have the pink roses and the white ranunculus, the overall feeling of it is one of the rich earth tones of winter. And that idea of walking out into the garden and or along the lane and seeing things that will work is just such a beautiful, like the whole process involved behind the making of this is it's such a story in and of itself. Yeah, it's perhaps something I don't consciously ever realise I'm doing, but yet everything does work with the season. And I, I don't want to see things in my arrangements that, that wouldn't be growing outside at, at the right time of year. And so my Instagram feed will always look as though it's winter, autumn, summer or spring. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with, with any design that we do, which I think is great because if someone's getting married in February they need to recognise that the following February, when they see a hellebore out there, that's what went into to their designs for their weddings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Things need to look right. Things need, I suppose it's a it's a well-used term, isn't it? But everything needs to have a, a sense of place, I think. Yeah. And then you always, or maybe not always, but you clearly frequently take the time to photograph your creations or the creations of your students in this very artistic and beautifully documented way what is your process for that and how do you get such a beautiful photograph and and besides the use of social media which I think is a secondary um why why this step in the process um well thank you I wasn't sure my photographs were that good there's a there's a way to go on photography for me but um it's actually it's a diary because we, I, I'm not very good at taking notes. I used to do that in the old job and I, I don't want to start writing things down again. But it gives me um, a really good document of who has been to us, when they've been. Mm. I always take a photo of them. I've got them with their arrangement. And, and actually people come back and I want them to see the differences in what they make each time. I maybe don't want to use the same products if they come back a, a second time. I want them to get to try something else. And so it's just a, a great way for me of, of recording the people who pass through here and, and just seeing what, what everyone does. Mm-hmm. And it is that is one of the joys. As much as technology enslaves us and sometimes makes our, our life noisier, that ability for our photographs to document exactly what's happening and have it time stamped is really it's one of the great gifts of you know the the digital photo yes it is and I I look back when I look back on my iPad and see how many thousands of photographs I've taken in the past five years I do think gosh maybe maybe I should spend a week this January just clearing it all out but then I look back and it's I suppose it's like looking through a scrapbook isn't it you Mm -hmm. you, so many nice memories of of people who you've met so Yeah. yeah that's why I do it just to just to record things and so when you're photographing one of the arrangements that, like this one that we've been talking about, do you use a big camera or are you using a digital device? And how do you, how do you, what are you looking for in creating a photo like this? How do you get your lighting and your composition the way you want it, Sarah? 
Uh, yeah, I am using usually a real camera. Sometimes it might be just an iPhone, but it tends to be the, the big camera. And what is um, your it, camera? It's a, a Nikon, and you're going to ask me the number, aren't you? And I can't remember. It's a D, <laughs> D7500 or something, but I, I can't be too sure on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, Jennifer. I only know how to take a good picture of a, a flower or a person holding a flower. I'm not very good at anything else, but I, I know what I know what settings on my camera are going to get me that that photograph mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I've, I've, I do go on various photography courses as well, and I have really good friends who are photographers who help me so I start from the point of knowing what's going to get me a good photograph but I will always try and seek out the best possible light and I know where that is around our house I know where it is around the outside of our house and so we go to those places where the light's going to work and then we hopefully get a good photograph. And I think that's part of it is as I am listening to you, one of the things that's clear is you just have to practice. As you were saying, you have these thousands of photos on your device, and you have them because you try again and again and again to get the shot you want or to get the arrangement you want. And so it's that willingness to try and to keep trying, maybe. Definitely. I look back at some of my photos of my old arrangements and I cringe. I really do. <laughs> So looking forward, what are your, do you have specific sort of visualized hopes for your garden and your garden life work in 2018? Um, Other than the amazing dry stone wall that we're going to put in around the cutting garden and the beach hedge, I don't have any other specific plans for the garden other than trying to get into it more and do Mm -hmm. more things in a proper orderly way that good growers should be doing. (laughs) So that's the plan for the garden. Um, And the plan for the workshops is just to carry on doing what we've been doing and do more with other people whose work I find interesting, Mm -hmm. do more with um, a local nursery, Dove Cottage Nursery, who, who grow a lot of the plants that we use in our garden anyway. And I would love to do a lot more with them in terms of taking people there and perhaps doing a class there. Um, and yeah, I'd like to go back to Cambo. <laughs> I will look forward to the Cambo announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's coming soon. <laughs> well, is there anything else you would like to add, Sarah? Uh, no, other than it's an, an absolute privilege to be on this. Um, you are the lady who. Well, I, I, I don't deny I go to sleep with quite often because I put your podcasts on and then <laughs> I drift off listening to various gardeners and I, it's an absolute honour to be, to be uh, featured and to actually speak to you. Well, thank you very much. It has been an honour to have you and a very happy 2018. Sarah Statham is the head and heart behind Simply by Arrangement, who, working together with her friend Christy, also known as Mrs. B, tends to floral workshops in Lancashire and Yorkshire. They are passionate about bringing fine flowers and food to the north of England and beyond. Christy lives in Lancashire, where she has a large workshop, and she tests out new recipes and makes delicious food. Sarah lives with her husband James and little dog Molly in Yorkshire, the home of the Simply By Arrangement Cutting Garden and a smaller workshop space where Sarah is inspired to create natural, lush, seasonal arrangements. 
When I asked Sarah toward the end of the interview what her regular gardening practices were for the new year and January, her first instinct was to say, well, not much really. But then, after having a chance to reflect on it, she wrote to me with this lovely insight, which is wisdom for all of us, I think. I really don't have any particular gardening practices in January, and I suppose I felt a little guilty saying that after the hard slog through Christmas, which is always our busiest time. She went on to recognize that her practice, much like our own quiet winter gardens, was, quote, to look forward to a whole month of snuggling up by the fire and actually looking outside at the quietness of the garden as it, too, takes a rest. It's typical of a northern woman, she writes, to feel guilty about not working. But, she goes on, you have to recharge your batteries where you can. And I do love the planning and the seed catalogs, and I'm hoping that I'll be starting an online garden design course too. Or, if I don't get that for Christmas, then I'll be reading my new Christopher Lloyd book. In Sarah's final reflection, as in the process she shared with us about creating and photographing the early winter arrangement she and I walked through, are whole narratives about the gardening life. There is the nod to working together and encouraging one another. There is the subplot of observation and leaving time and space for discovery and appreciation and the creation of beauty. There's the hopeful narrative of the power of the garden and landscapes to inspire lifelong learning through travel, through community, through following our own dreams to do things like take better photographs, take a new class to expand on what we know and do, and to remember to do what we need to do when we need to do it. Like looking forward to January, snuggled up by the fire, reading a good book with a cup of tea, and enjoying the quietness of our gardens as they too take a rest. May we all make time for resolutions such as these. Once again, happy 2018 to you in the cultivation of your place. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. To see many photos illustrating my conversation with Sarah Statham, visit cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the monthly newsletter for updates on guests, events, monthly garden musings, and other quantum gardening stuff. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Original theme music by Matt Schultz. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.